We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to a very special edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast, my favorite podcast to do the entire season. Uh, Nick Whalen here, joined by James Anderson for our annual look at the NBA win total over unders. Although, James, this year we have a bit of a caveat uh, with the season shrinking down to 72 games and the distinct possibility that, you know, now and the end of May, uh, some teams don't make it all the way to 72. Instead of win totals, we have win percentages. So that required uh, some advanced mathematics on our end. Uh, we got a spreadsheet set up with like eight columns, which is more than normal. Uh, for me personally, I had to kind of project out what these numbers mean for an 82 game pace to, to get a real sense of, you know, where these teams kind of ballpark. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to see, like, did, did you change your methodology at all this year compared to the three or four years we've done this in the past? Uh, not not really. I mean, I think the percentages are, are nice because you can compare them sort of one to one with what those teams did last year without having to worry about exact win totals. Um, 
you know, I, I tried not to like think too much about like which teams or which players might be more likely to not follow the COVID guidelines and stuff like that. But, right. um, I mean, I just think that that's, you, you get down a bit of a, a weird rabbit hole if you start trying to analyze it that way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's kind of basic. I mean, I, I'm definitely going to be expecting much less from a typical rookie with no summer league. I'm going to be maybe giving the benefit of the doubt more to some of the teams that have uh, continuity from last year because, I mean, a lot of these teams just aren't even going to have time to do any kind of scrimmaging with their full teams before the regular season mm-hmm. starts. So, uh, I mean, I, I factored that in, but I mean, I think we'll we'll get into it on a team-by-team basis here. Yeah, you made one good point in there that I think is especially salient, and that's that I'm with you on this. I also didn't factor in like, well, I think this guy might go party too much and get COVID, so we're going to factor that in. Like, we're, we're basically assuming that all teams have normal injury luck. You know, the, the guys who are typically more injury prone, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, Joel Embiid, you know, you're factoring that in. Um, but I, 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 too, did not give like preferential treatment to one team over the other. Uh, as, as far as like how many games they might miss because of COVID. Uh, let's start at the top alphabetically with the Atlanta Hawks. And, you know, you mentioned some teams don't have a lot of time to put a new roster together. And Atlanta's in a unique position because they're one of the teams that wasn't in the bubble. So they haven't played since around March 10th of last year. And, you know, they basically are bringing back an entirely you know, intact core, but you also add on, you know, four or five notable free agent additions from Gallinari to Chris Dunn to Bogdanovich, uh, all the way back to Clint Capella, who they got at that at the deadline in February and who hasn't played for them. So, you know, while this is a team that has had a lot of time off, it's also a brand new team that's only going to have like two and a half weeks to practice together before the regular season starts. Yeah. And I, I think you also got to mention that in Lloyd Pierce, I think they have a a solid coach, but a coach who might enter the year kind of on the hot seat. Like I, I think that they have, you know, they brought in Nate McMillan. Um, I it doesn't seem like Trey Young and Lloyd Pierce are on 100% the same page, which is weird considering Lloyd Pierce's system allowed for Trey Young to just put up monster numbers last year. But um, I just think it's a it's a lot to ask of any coach really to get this many new pieces meshing together early in the season. So I I think that that's something to watch as well. So the Hawks were on an 82 game win pace uh, or 82 game pace. I should say for 25 wins a season ago, their line uh, is 47.5% for the win percentage. So that would be an 82 game pace of 39 wins, a pretty huge jump Uh, for 72 games. That would put them uh, at 34 wins you and I both like the under on the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a lock or anything or, or a stay away. I just I think it's just a, you know, I think for, they're, they're predicting such a big jump. And I, I think on paper, on paper, they should go over. Like if you just said this is, if you're just analyzing all these rosters and like ranking them in terms of best to worst, I think the Hawks probably had the talent to go over, but. Like I said, I, there's just barely any continuity between uh, Trey Young and John Collins, and then these new big pieces. You know, they're they're probably what did they bring in like three of their five best players or guys that weren't on the team last year, like something something like mm-hmm. that. So, um, 
I just think that that's, that's tough. That's asking a lot for, for all those pieces to gel. I also think you're going to run into trouble where um, they, you know, there's going to be three to four guys on this roster who right out of the gate don't think they're playing enough or don't think they're getting enough shots because I think there's just a lot of players that sort of expect to be a pretty big part of this rotation. And some guys are going to just miss out on that. And so it's just how, how do those guys handle that? How does uh, the coach handle it? Um, there's, there's just a lot to consider here. Um, you know, I think that they could have had a worse off season. Like they had all that cap space. And, and I mean, I think they could have screwed it up. Uh, I don't necessarily think they screwed it up, but they, they tried to rush this rebuild and that almost never goes well. I mean, this was an mm-hmm. ownership mandate to, to make the playoffs this year and keep Trey Young happy. Uh, I just think you're, you know, it could definitely, it could go over, but I think um, there's just enough sort of new pieces, enough um, questions in terms of how the rotation is going to shake out. that I think the safe bet is to just go, go a little bit on. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, obviously I went under as well. I, I think they are, they're, they're kind of trying to do two things at once. Like you said, you know, you're, you're trying to develop this young core. I mean, last year they weren't a good team, but they were a team that, you know, even though they won, what did I say? 25 games, you know, they were, they were in a completely different class as an organization from like the Knicks and the Hornets and the Pistons, you know, like you, you liked what they were building. You were kind of okay with why they're losing these games. It's because your starting lineup is all guys who are like 23 and under. And now all of a sudden you're, you're trying to compete right away with, half the roster that's maybe not quite ready for it, half the roster who's, you know, right smack in the middle of their prime, guys like Bogdanovich and Capella. And then you also add, you know, Danilo Gallinari as, you know, a veteran who is going to expect a, a big role, but is also on a completely different timeline than the rest of the roster. So I, I think the guy I'm most most interested to see how this impacts is Trey Young, who had a usage rate of 35% last season. And that was kind of necessary based on who's on the team. But I mean, all of a sudden, like Trey Young can't play that way again this season. And and part of the reason that I like the under is I, I think, one, there's going to be maybe some growing pains as far as figuring out how to use him a little bit differently when it's not just the Trey Young show, as it basically has been for him since day one over the last two seasons. I think that could create some issues. And then the other thing, as great as Trey Young is on offense, I, I just think it's really hard to win games when you have that guy out there no matter how good he is on offense, you know, he was almost a 30 point per game score, did it about as efficiently as you could ask for a second year player. And they still weren't a very good team. And, and obviously they made a lot of additions, but I, I don't know that they got like 15 wins better. So I'm, I actually disagree a little bit. Like I, I think, I think Trey young is going to just do basically what Trey young did. Like I, you don't, it's not usually that, that top dog who sees his usage really decline. The guy that I'm worried about is John Collins because I just don't know where he fits necessarily into like, what's their best lineup. I mean, I, I think you probably need Capella out there for it to be your best lineup. Does that mean your best lineup has Danilo Gallinari on the bench or does it have John Collins on the bench? If you're trying to play those two together, then your defense is going to be disastrous. So I, I'm just interested in, cause like they, you know, John Collins thinks of himself as a guy that deserves a max extension and I just don't think he's going to get the opportunities to perform like that type of player when you have like Gallinari is was probably a better real life player than Collins last year they need Capella slash Okongu for the defense and 
so it's just I'm worried about what his attitude's going to be like if he's not playing enough, and if Lloyd Pierce tries to keep him happy by doing some lineups where you have Gallo at the three or something, or or even Collins and Gallo as the four five, then your defense is just a complete disaster. So I, I'm interested in how that that front court kind of shakes out. Like I I think Trey Young is still just going to be completely ball dominant, and mm-hmm. um, Bogdanovich might. You know, he kind of took money over fit, um, which I don't begrudge him for, but I don't think he's necessarily going to get an uptick in usage compared to what he was getting in Sacramento. Um, so I think I think pretty much everyone on this roster is going to get the ball less than they think they deserve it, except for Trey. Right, which typically is not a, a great recipe when eight, eight of the top nine guys in your rotation maybe feel like they should have a bigger role. Right. Yeah. All right. So I, I think that's our main rationale for the under on the Atlanta Hawks. Let's move to the Boston Celtics. 66.7 win percentage last season. They played exactly 72 games, finished 48 and 24. So that gives us a nice clean sample. The number's a little bit lower this year on Boston. So again, 66.7 last year, their percentage, and these are all via the DraftKings Sportsbook, 63.5. So from an 82-game pace, that would be 55 wins down to 52 wins, uh, 48 down to 46 in a 72-game season. Uh, we, we have our first split. You're going under on the Boston Celtics. I'm going over. Yeah, I think that, you know, part of my rationale here is I just am not really factoring Kemba Walker, Kemba Walker in a ton. Uh, I think that his, his knee is uh, something that's probably going to be an issue for the rest of his career at this point. If it, if it's, um, you know, I think it's saying like tendonitis or something like that, um, where it's just he was playing basically on a knee that uh, was kind of messed up since his days at UConn, and it, it's finally become a somewhat debilitating issue with him. And so I'm I'm really just not factoring Kemba in a ton in terms of how I think that it's going to impact wins and losses. And you also lost Gordon Hayward for nothing. Uh, so you basically go from those five great wing players to three great wing players. And I, I do think Tatum, I think the leap he made last year is real. I think at worst, he, he probably picks up where he left off. I think Jalen Brown maybe takes another step forward, becomes a, a clear all-star, but you're also going to have Marcus Smart probably trying to do a bit too much on offense. Um, and then you, you look after those three, it's just, you're really kind of devoid of anyone that you can trust to do mm. much of anything, especially on the perimeter and on the wing. And so I just think they're walking a pretty tight rope. If Tatum or Brown or Smart miss really any time at all, I think this goes under. I think, uh, you know, Kemba, they're they're going to be trying to manage him so that he can help them in the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, again, I'm not I'm not touching Kemba in fantasy or anything like that. I think Tatum and Brown are both going to have all-star seasons. They're both going to put up big numbers. But, I mean, the Eastern Conference is better than it was a year ago. Uh, their depth is worse. They just, you know, I, I look at, again, after those top three guys, it really falls off. So um, I, I think that they're going to they're gonna go a little bit under that. I think that's all fair, uh, especially the points – about you know what would happen if if Tatum is out for two weeks you know that could be ten games all of a sudden that that Boston's gonna have a hard time being favored in most of those they're walking a tightrope with the depth for sure and I, I love the addition of Jeff Teague I, I think that's about as as steady as of a backup point guard as you can have right now and a guy who's probably a, still a little overqualified 
to be a backup and, and can at least, you know, fill the shoes of Kemba for the beginning of the season while he's out. But, but yeah, there's not a lot of depth. And I, I think it's easy to look at the subtraction of Gordon Hayward and say like, well, he wasn't really giving them anything. He's been a disappointment. That is all true, but he's at least giving you competent minutes. He's not giving you all-star Gordon Hayward minutes, but he's giving you like solid starter minutes. And where do those go now? I mean, it, is it Aaron Neesmith who's going to step in and, and just have to play like 20 minutes, 25 minutes a night? I, I'm not as high on Grant Williams as others. I, I don't think he's really the solution there. Um, I, I think in a vacuum, I, I like them adding another big man in Tristan Thompson, but you also bring back Tice and Robert Williams. So all of a sudden that becomes really redundant. I feel like they, they didn't really do enough to add depth uh, on the guard or at the guard or the wing positions and instead just like triple down at center. So what's your, what's your case for going over? I think Jalen Brown takes a big step forward. And I think Jason Tatum, you know, picks up where he left off last year. And I, this team is just super steady in the regular season. I, I, I don't think that they have enough to, to win in the postseason unless Kemba is, you know, really, really at a hundred percent at that point, which, which seems pretty unlikely. Um, but I, I think this team is, it knows how to win in the regular season is built more for the regular season than the playoffs at this point. Um, and, and essentially I'm willing to take the gamble that Tatum and Brown stay 90, 95% healthy for the season. And if that happens, I think they go over. And I, I think I, like I said, I see your rationale in, in maybe betting that they don't stay healthy, but if they do, you know, I, I think asking them to, to get to 53 or 54 wins in an 82 game type of pace, I, I think that's still reasonable. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think we, we disagree slightly. Uh, I mean, I, it's not that I don't think, I think we kind of agree on how good Tatum and Brown will be. And right. then we just sort of disagree about what that translates to in terms of wins. Well, how, how low would that number have to go for you to, to feel comfortable? Well, you know, for instance, the heater at 50, the Sixers and Raptors are at 48 in terms of what the book is projecting them for an 82 game pace. Mm-hmm. I don't see the Celtics as being better than those three teams. I think they're in the exact same tier as those three teams in the regular season. And so I think, I think all three of them, the line should have been around 50. So I think it's just a, a bit bigger than it should have been. The NBA season is almost here. That means fantasy basketball draft season is already underway. Test your skills against some of the best fantasy players in the business by joining the Rotowire Online Championship for your chance to win $10,000. That's $10,000 American. You can play against Rotowire experts like myself, Alex Barutha, James Anderson, Shannon, baby Kevin Love McEwen, and even Ken Kreitz. I have a draft coming up this week. Very much looking forward to it. Can't wait to grab RJ Barrett in the third round. Hopefully he's still there. This will be my fourth year playing in this contest. It's always one of my favorites. Year in, year out, it's the most competitive league I play in. You're really never going to find guys who aren't setting lineups, aren't bidding on free agents, you know, not doing the things that any league manager should do. Really never a concern with these NFBKC leagues, which is awesome. If you think you have what it takes, sign up now by visiting rotowire.com and clicking the $10,000 Rotowire Championship link. It's right on our homepage. You can't miss it. All right, we move on to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I mean, barely even any sense in in analyzing their 82 game pace last year. They were on pace to be a 40 and 42 team win percentage just south of 49. Uh, That number now jumps all the way up to 62.5 percent. That puts the Nets on a 51 win pace in an 82 game season and a 45 win pace 
uh, in the 72 game season. Is it strange to you? And I, I should say you're going under on this. I'm going over again. Um, is it strange to you that Brooklyn has a lower win percentage line than the Boston Celtics? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think just based on like all the height and right. predictions and everything like that, it does sort of seem like people are talking about the, the Bucks and the Nets as the class of the East. And so, yeah, I think that is a little interesting. Um, the Celtics are, are an extreme. I mean, it, one team's in Brooklyn, one team's in Boston, but I think the Celtics are a much more public team than the Nets are. So, I mean, I think that that might be part of the reason for that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, t- to me, it just comes down to, like, how many games do KD and Kyrie play? I'm basically betting against them kind of hitting the high end of that. And mm-hmm. I think I, I wouldn't bet this line at all, uh, to be clear. Like, this is – there's, like, a half dozen or so stayaways for me, and this is this is definitely a stayaway because I think it does just kind of come down to how much KD and Kyrie play. Uh, there's no – you know, this isn't like you take you take prime Kyrie from Cleveland and prime KD from Golden State, and they just join up on this team. Like they, they both right. just missed a ton of time with very serious uh, procedures, and uh, I just you know I think they're going to rest those guys as much <clears throat> as they possibly can. I mean, Steve Nash is definitely the the type of coach that's going to preach um, load management and and being as cautious as you can with with any type of uh, career-threatening injury, so I, I just I expect them to kind of sit them whenever they can. Uh, they know they're going to make the playoffs if they keep them both healthy. So, uh, and then I also just think you're going to look at guys like Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, you know, it's it's not going to be that fun of a season for those guys. Like Spencer Dinwiddie's not going to be very happy being on this team because yeah. he's going to hit the open market next year and he's not going to be able to put up any any numbers. Karis LeVert's going to think he's a much a way overqualified third option on offense. Uh, Jared Allen's going to think he's a way overqualified backup center. Um, so I just think, I think you're going to have a lot of sort of unhappy campers in that locker room that'll, that'll put on a brave face and everything, but just aren't going to be that happy as the season goes on. There's definitely some Clippers potential here. Like a, a story in mid-March right. about how everyone's frustrated that Kyrie is making them late for flights and all that. Like the, I, I could totally see that. I think, I think there is a kind of an old guard, new guard type of dynamic and because a lot of these guys have kind of grown up with this organization over the last few years with that said i think i think the talent level is just so high and i'm, I'm willing to gamble that even if those guys are unhealthy that if, if kd misses a game you know they, they still would have enough to to beat a lot of teams in the league you know if kd's out maybe you're not beating the lakers or the clippers or the nuggets but you can still beat half the teams in the eastern conference with Kyrie and and the rest of the nets um I, I'm much more so, worried about Kyrie from a health perspective than I am KD. So here's a counter to your your case about. Um, so last year, like the the Mavs had the like best offense ever, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, they were on a 47 game pace over 82 games. Even if you think the Nets are going to have an even better offense than the Mavs had last year, I think the Nets defense is going to be worse than the Mavs defense was last year. So you're talking yeah. about maybe a top three offense and the bottom like six defense, bottom eight defense. Um, I mean, I, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because I, I definitely like the offensive upside is through the roof. Mm-hmm. I just don't know where who on this team's playing defense. Um, 
other than like Jared Allen. I mean, my hope is that KD comes back and is still a tone setter on defense. But again, that's not a guarantee. And I think if there is an area where he really slips, you know, it's that extra like 5% effort on defense. Um, I, I'm really not worried about him offensively. I, I'm, honestly, I, this is basically just a bet that KD comes back and is KD. And I, I think he's going to be really good. I think even though the Nets will rest him, I don't think he's going to be out. He's not going to sit like 25 games. You know, I think he's going to want to play. Um, and you know, with the Achilles, it's like, an injury like that, it's like he's either going to snap it again or it's going to be fine. You know, I don't I don't really see there being like a lot of in between um, with with that situation. Whereas like with Kyrie, you know, he's had so many knee issues over the years where it's like he'll play three games and then he's out for 10 and then he's back for four and then he's out for two. Like I think Katie's had like 20 months to recover. You know, I, I think at this point, the Achilles kind of is what it is. So that's not a huge concern for me. Um, but I, I really am surprised that 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 line comes in lower than the Celtics just because you, you would think they would jack it up by percentage points or whatever, just because it's well, the Nets. I think the Nets line is perfect. Like I, that's why I'm saying stay away, but I think the, I think the Celtics line is just too high. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's fair. Um, one caveat here. Let's say the Nets trade for James Harden a week from now. How does that change your pick? Let's say, let's say the line doesn't move. It, it would move, but even if it stays at 62.5, would that flip you to the over? I think I'd still go under. I, 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 I think, uh, I mean, that would just have so much. Well, that then they might have the worst defense in the league, and um, I just don't, I just don't think it would. It like you know, you take you take LeBron and Bosh and Wade team up, and it takes like a full season for them to get going. Like, what about if you? pair like three of the most mercurial players in the league together like i just these things yeah. never click in the first season they just don't like the the lakers last season was like the best case scenario of like a super team clicking right away and that's because you had two guys right. who meshed perfectly and everyone was on the exact same page and you had good locker room leadership from from like lebron like that would not be the case at all if this theoretical super team got put together i think you would just have like Steve Nash would probably just want to drown himself in the in the tub after every game. Like I just think it would be uh, a complete nightmare in the locker room. So um, I would still go under there. I, I just think they're getting a ton of leeway. You know that that percentage puts them on pace for 45 wins. I mean you can go 46 and 26, and you know still hit the over on that. Like 20 26 losses for this Nets team, even if there's some struggles at the beginning, I, I still feel like that's a lot. But I don't know. We're gonna talk ourselves in circles. One last point on the Nets. I, I checked this yesterday. Steve Nash is the favorite for coach of the year. That's stupid. Um, I, I get it, but yeah, I, I think it's a little it's a little ridiculous. But if they are really good, I think he's going to get a he's going to get a ton of credit, deserved or not, for managing the personalities and and steering the ship. Yeah, maybe. Um, I I don't know. Well. I'm I'm trying to think of a better option on the spot. I mean, I might go like Terry Stotts or something like that, but um, yeah, I mean, it, he's in the mix for sure. I mean, any new coach whose team's going to jump that much in wins has to be in the mix, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. All right. The Charlotte Hornets, 28 wins last season, win percentage of 34.5. The number now sits at 36.5. That's a 30 and 52 pace over an 82 game season. Uh, 26 wins in a 72-game season. 
You and I both like the under here. Yeah, I don't love it. I I would stay away from it. Um, I think that you can make a case for the over. I mean, they they are this team is definitely cares about getting into that play in game, unlike some of the other really bad teams in the conference. So like they're not going to be resting players or doing anything to try to improve their odds down the stretch. Um, you know, you're getting a very very quality capable wing. Uh, replacing, you know, the opposite of that in, in Nicholas Batum. So, um, you know, I, I could see a case for the over, but I think the smart move for them is to play LaMelo a ton as a rookie and just kind of let him go through the growing pains. And that should equate to just a lot of losses. Uh, I mean, you look at like Trey Young as a rookie, um, you know, even Luka Doncic as a rookie, as as great as he was, like it's not like they were um, approaching 500 or anything. So, um, yeah, I, I just think anytime you have a rookie point guard coming in, you're gonna you're gonna lose a lot of games. So, and and the the fact that the East is just so much better uh, than it was last year. I mean, you have, um, you know, the Nets are gonna be way better. Um, I think all of the the, the top six teams all either stay about the same. Uh, maybe in the case of the Sixers, they get better. The Wizards got better. The Hawks got better. I mean, it, not everyone can get better. And mm-hmm. I think the Hornets, just from a talent standpoint, especially in the front court, uh, I'll go under, but I, again, I wouldn't bet it. Yeah, I, I don't feel great about it. I, I thought this line would be a little bit higher, um, but you know, it was kind of like a 60-40. I, I guess I like the under a little bit more. Hayward in Charlotte kind of reminds me of when Kevin Love ended up just being by himself in Cleveland, where after after being like kind of underutilized for a few years, like all of a sudden his numbers shot back up, but the team obviously cratered. And 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 that's not like Charlotte 50-win team last year, but I think we're going to see a completely different version of Gordon Hayward, and ultimately I just don't think it's going to matter at all. I'm with you on LaMelo. I, I think I will be surprised if he starts the season in the starting five. I, I think they're going to at least kind of run it back a little bit with Graham and Rozier, and it's going to be really interesting to see which of those two, you know, he ends up siphoning minutes from, um, because when he's out there, he he kind of has to be on the ball, right? Yeah, he definitely does. But I, I mean, I think you, you know, you have 96 minutes to dole out at mm-hmm. the two guard spots, so you could just give all of them like 32 minutes a game, and you could be fine there. Um, I, I just, I mean, I you might be right, but I. Even if they start him coming off the bench, I don't think it'll be more than like a dozen games before he's starting. I mean, you just, he's the future of the franchise. Like you're kind of right. sinking or swimming with him. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it, from a win losses standpoint, I don't think it matters whether he starts or comes off the bench. Like, no. you know, the possessions are still going to be there controlled by him, um, mm. even if it starts off the bench. They have some major holes in the front court too. That's my other big, big concern is, you know, the four spot is still not in great shape. You have PJ Washington, you bring back Miles Bridges, who's basically been the same guy since he entered the league, kind of an Aaron Gordon type of trajectory he's taking. And then at center, I mean, I feel like they've had like the same guys at center forever and they're all just not good at all. Cody Zeller, Bayambo is back. I mean, I hope that we see more PJ Washington at center than we saw last year. It sounds like that's going to happen, but while I think that's good for their offense, I, I don't know that that's necessarily a winning combination 
Um, I mean, overall, I like the Hayward edition. I think they overpaid for a guy who's frankly just not that good at this point. But you understand it, it being in that organization's uh, shoes. But I, I think they missed a major opportunity, you know, to to beef up at center because that that's going to be a huge hole for them, I think, all year. Well, I think they missed a major opportunity to try to finish with the worst record. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the other thing. I mean, that, well, that's like the thing. That, is like you said, they, they want to compete for that that eight or yeah. nine spot in the East, but you're also trying to develop a point guard who could end up being like one of the more raw top three picks that we've seen in a while. Like they just had it tailor made to like suck in a natural way where you're, you're sucking, but it's for the future betterment of your franchise by developing these young players. And you're going to get another top five pick in a loaded draft. Right. That just seemed like the better move, but of course it's Michael Jordan. And of course uh, you can never build through the draft if you're the Hornets. Mm -mm. No, no. I mean, if you have the opportunity to give Gordon Hayward $30 million, I mean, I think that's that's a no-brainer. <laughs> the Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with Rotowire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month Rotowire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website and once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado in Nevada, and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. The Chicago Bulls, win percentage of 33.8 last season. That was a 28-win pace in an 82-game season. Their number jumps all the way up to 41.5%, 34 win pace over 82, uh, and that projects them out to 30 and 42 in a 72-game season. We are split again on the Chicago Bulls. I went over, you have gone under. So this is now five straight unders for James to begin. Yeah, I got some overs coming, but... um... You know, again, this this is maybe the I would say on paper to me, the Bulls and the Hornets are just as good. And the Hornets line is like four wins lower than the Bulls line. And, um, you know, I, I don't think the Bulls are as bad as the Cavs or the Pistons uh, or the Knicks. But I think they are definitely in the bottom five of this conference. I don't think they're as good as the Magic. And. One thing that I think is important when you're doing these over-unders is just to take a step back and look at the state of the franchise and like what the what is the goal of that front office. And this is a brand-new front office, and they're going to get leeway to try to build through the draft for at least one more year. Like You don't mm-hmm. just <laughs> hire a guy coming off of that bad of a season and say, all right, now you got to try to make the playoffs with this roster. Um, I'm sure that, you know, that Reinsdorf might like it if they made the playoffs, but it's not going to be tough to talk the owner into to, um, kind of tanking a little bit again. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I think they would have lost plenty of games on purpose anyway, but I think that they will have uh, leeway to really try to develop uh, their young players. Um, but they could go over, like, if, if all of a sudden they get, like, good, healthy version of Otto Porter, they could maybe go over. That, that might be one way to do it. I don't think you should expect the, the healthy version of Otto Porter all season based on what we've seen from him in recent years. I think you could see any of Wendell Carter. Um, he'd probably be my pick or Larry Markkinen or Kobe White to really kind of break out. Uh, any of those guys could do that. Uh, I don't think two of them will or, or certainly not three of them. And Zach Levine's going to get his points and um, he's going to be pretty efficient, but he's never proven to drive win. Um, especially on offense, or especially on defense, but like even even when he's putting up awesome numbers on offense, it doesn't drive winning. It just hasn't. So um, they have some, you know, some high high pedigree prospects on this roster, but I think that they are going to be gunning for a top six or seven pick in that draft. So you wrote up ten of your favorite over unders in an article for the site earlier this week. And that gave me a little bit of a preview on how you were leaning on some of these. And and the Bulls are one that I, I talked to you about yesterday and said, you, you almost convinced me to flip. Like I, I was pretty set on the over and the argument that you just laid out as far as having a new front office, there's going to be more patience, you would think, uh, than normal. But I, I got to stick with the over. I, I know a lot of these guys, I feel like are, are probably overrated based on, on name value as opposed to actual production or in health. Um, but I, I think it's a little bit of an insult to the Bulls to say that they're on the same level with the Hornets. I got to say it. Um, I, I, I think mean, if, if these Gordon Hayward's better than any player on the Bulls. No, I, I don't know. Come on. I would rather have Levine than Hayward. That's, that is ridiculous. Think about what you're saying. I strongly believe what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, I'm going over. I, I think looking at the, the, you know, what these, uh, percentages project to as far as wins, if the Bulls finish at around 30, that's 10th in the East. And that's kind of right about where I see them. Uh, I, I think they're probably a team that ends up falling short of the playoffs, but I, I don't think they're like in contention for the number one seed or number one draft pick, I should say, in 2021. I, I think their ceiling's higher. I think what you're not factoring in enough is the the post-Boylan bump in that their coaching was so poor last season that even though they were on a 28-win pace, I think if they had had even like a league average coach, that number is probably quite a bit higher and I think you're getting above average coach in Billy Donovan. So, well, I disagree about Billy Donovan being an above average coach. And I think Boylan was a disaster from a handling um, personalities standpoint and relating to player standpoint. But I actually think he kind of got the absolute most out of them defensively last year. Uh, they're missing Chris Dunn, who like was a big part of that. Um, so I, I think the defense is actually going to be worse than it was last year. And I think Billy Donovan is just, he's like a caretaker that like, he's a professional. You bring him in, he's your coach. He's not going to lift any unit by himself. He's not some tactical genius or anything like that. He's just going to, he's not going to say anything stupid to the media. He's going to get along with the players, but I, I just don't, I, I think he's actually a below average coach. And I think Boylan was just an even more below average coach. Right, but I, I think Boylan was so low on the list that even if you don't want to say Donovan's like a great head coach, which I'm not saying he is, I, I think he's slightly above average. I think he did a good job last year, and and also Chris Paul probably deserves most of the credit for that. Um, and I do, I think you're right about the defense. You know, if there is one area where they probably overperformed, it is in that area. But every single player on the roster hated their lives last season, and I I think it's tough to like put a value on just not hating showing up to work every day. That's a 
that's that's the best case you've made yet is that they will be <laughs> they will be happier when they come to work than they were last right week. yes yeah the not a lot of people talk about like the depression quotient when it comes to <laughs> analyzing win totals all right speaking of the depression quotient the cavaliers yikes 29.2 win percentage last season that was a 24 win pace uh this number now sits at 30 and a half so that's a 22 win pace over 72 25 win pace over 82 so the oddsmakers basically see the Cavs as the same team as last year. And you and I are back to agreeing. How about that? Um, we are. We both we both have the over. Uh, go go Cavs. Um, I so I think uh, Bickerstaff is a pretty solid coach. I actually think Bickerstaff might be better than than Billy Donovan. Um, Right, and we'll, it, we'll he see definitely if we can organize has, some sort of coach off. <laughs> he definitely has, like, from everything I am like, seeing from, like, their beat reporters and stuff, it seems like the players, including guys like Kevin Love and Andre Drummond, like, kind of are, are fully bought in. Um, and, I mean, that might actually be a bigger coaching upgrade from from, from Beeline to, to Bickerstaff than from um, – <laughs> but, I mean, you know. Uh, that is true. Like, like Beeline was one of the worst coaching performances we've seen in the NBA in in multiple years. So I think you have to factor in that he won't be there at all this year. So that's probably a couple extra wins. And I think I think Kevin Love was just so in such a dark place last year in terms of his unhappiness with being on that team. Now, like the facts of life, no team wants to trade for him on that contract is sort of set in. And he sort of realizes my only chance of possibly getting out of here is to play really well so that another team wants me. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have Andre Drummond, who is like, I don't think Andre Drummond is a is a good real life player, but he's a big real life player and he can actually sort of protect the rim. Like he at least sort of gives you someone back there defensively, which they didn't have until they traded for him last year. Um, and, and he's playing for a contract as well. So, I think you're going to have those two vets fully bought in. And um, I don't think Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, I don't think that duo could be worse than they were last year. I mean, Sexton was fine at scoring, but he was pretty much bad at everything else. Mm -hmm. Darius Garland was bad at everything. Uh, So I think, you know, he has to be better than he was last year. Um, They don't have amazing depth, but I think, you know, Kevin Porter to me is is really interesting long term. I mean, he, he's probably not going to help them win games this year, but I think he's at least going to be fun to watch. Um, they they have they have okay depth, um, so I just I don't think they're the worst team in the league, which this line uh, basically said that they are. And I think that they're going to be trying. Like I think they're going to work hard every single night. Like they're not going to just be a pushover team that just no shows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. You know, I, I'm going slightly over. I don't, I don't love it, but I think they set the line just a little bit too low. I agree, and that's the only reason I went over. I, I don't love this roster at all. I, I think they, they're a team that I would have liked to see just add like one or two random veterans who can just give you like 16 competent minutes because they've, they're basically running it back with last year's team, right? I mean, obviously you get kind of a full season of Drummond, but I, I, I think. It's it's reasonable to expect Sexton to make a mini leap, at least. I, I'm still not 100% sold on Garland, but as I think you put it best, those guys aren't going to be worse than last year. And and this line kind of implies that they will be. 
I, I think it's also that the Cavs are projected for like three fewer wins than the Thunder, who are in no way trying to win any games and are going to have a much more difficult schedule. Um, I, I think the Cavs will certainly be in the conversation to be the worst team, but I don't think they're going to be openly trying to get there. Right. Like they have the perfect roster to tank without purposely tanking. Like they're just, yeah. they're going to get, they're going to get another high pick by playing all the best players. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I just think it's, all of the players on their team should be slightly better than they were last year. Right. I think where we maybe get sunk on this is if they do trade Kevin Love. I just don't, I don't think anyone wants him. I mean, yeah. I think that that's a tough in season trade for sure. Yeah. I think, yeah, right. Right. Like I think maybe you could talk, like you kind of have to get the owner on the phone for that trade. And may, that's something you pull off after this season, but mm-hmm. I just, I just don't. And like a team trading for him, is a would theoretically be a playoff team. You you want to get a team like this year's Hornets, who right. like <laughs> they're they're going to learn soon enough that they're not a playoff team, but they can talk themselves into being a playoff team before the season starts. Right. All right. So in the time that we've been recording, Trey Young has uh, signed a shoe deal with Adidas, and will have his own signature shoe this time next year. Just a heads up. All right. All right. The Detroit Pistons. Win percentage of just over 30, 30.3% last season. That was a 25-win pace over 82. Uh, they get bumped up to 32.5% at the DraftKings Sportsbook. So that's a 27-win pace over 82 and a 23-win pace over 72. So projected essentially for one more win than the Cavaliers. Yeah, we we stay in lockstep here. Um, both going under. I mean, they had a... They had quite the off season, uh, not in a good way. Um, yeah, most certainly did. I, <laughs> I mean, the Mason Plumley contract is probably the worst contract given out. Uh, probably even worse than the Gordon Hayward contract. I think this uh, is the this is the most perplexing off season since the Lakers <laughs> dang Mozgov year. Um, what do you make? So, could there be a bigger sort of slap in the face? to christian wood than the team that sort of developed him into what he was at the end of last year didn't yeah. want to match that contract like right like that, we'd rather spend that on mason Plumley. <laughs> like that, I, that's such a it's either the pistons are really stupid which i think i would argue is the case uh, regardless of of the motivation behind that or Christian Wood is just a, a crazy person who they couldn't wait to say goodbye to. Even I think that's was, also a possibility for the record. Yeah, even though he was their best player down the stretch. So, um, yeah, I mean, Christian Wood, John Wall, James Harden hanging out. That, that should be a good time for the um, – Hanging with the fellas. That, that, is, that might be one team where I might bet on a COVID outbreak happening at, at one point. But, um, yeah, I, I just – I don't think the pieces here fit really at all for the Pistons. Um, who knows what you're going to get from Blake? I actually think he might have a, a mini sort of bounce back. I mean, he, he's been um, surprisingly good at sort of returning from these injuries late in his career. Uh, one big thing though, that I think rockets them to this under is like, it definitely sounds like Killian Hayes is going to have the, the keys. Um, yeah starting on opening night and you know i think he's even going to be more of a negative player in year one than Lamelo ball will be i mean 
pretty much any point guard is going to just be a, a net negative for you in year one. Uh, you know, this is just going to be such a dramatic jump in competition for him from from the league he was playing in mm-hmm. uh, that I, I just think he's going to be really bad. Um, and then, you know, Jeremy Grant wants a more of an offensive role. I don't think that's going to be good. Um, you kind of have to play Mason Plumley decent minutes now. I don't think that's going to be good. They don't really have any shooting other than Steve McKaylick. So you kind of have to play him. <laughs> so yeah, so their only just, shooter is the best shooter in the league. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, there's no shooting. There's a, a rookie point guard. Who's as raw as they come. I mean, I just, I don't, I think this team is going to lose a ton of games. So that was a great rant, but you somehow didn't even bring up that they have Josh Jackson. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They, they uh, traded out Christian Wood for Josh Jackson. Uh, yeah. They couldn't have them both in the same locker room. No, the CBA actually prohibits you from having <laughs> both those guys on the roster at once. So they, they had to make a choice. So they added like every bad role player possible, essentially. Like they made all these signings. And it's like, I don't like the Plumley signing. I don't like the Grant signing. Why did you add Josh Jackson? Why did you bring in Rodney Magruder? Why is Wayne Ellington on this team? Like they've they've almost built a roster like the Knicks have the past couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Right. And how's yeah. that turned out? Horribly. Like Jeremy Grant is fine if he's your fifth man or your sixth man and you're going to the playoffs. He's not fine if he's your second or maybe even your best player. If and he goes thinks down, he's, he's getting guy. he thinks he's getting some sort of on the ball role. Like it I don't know. It's it's weird. So on that, like I can't even picture can you picture Jeremy Grant like running a pick and roll? I don't know if we've had, has that ever happened in an NBA game? I'd, I'd have to check synergy. He, he was really feeling himself in uh, one of those playoff series. I think it was um, the Lakers series. Was that, the, there was like one game I'm remembering where he sort of just started going nuts and, and might've had like 27 points or something like that. Uh, but it was just, you know, he was feeling it. I mean, it wasn't anything sustainable really. Um, He's he deserves a ton of credit to to turn himself into a guy that can shoot open threes, but that, that's not the same as like should be taking like mid shot clock threes or anything. Yeah, like, like that. creating that's, open threes. Right. right. Has right. there ever been? I was trying to come up with a cop. Like, has there ever been a situation like this where like a clearly not on the ball player has just been like handed a role like that? Like it would it would be just like Gerald Wallace was like a guy who came to mind, but he was also not really like a high usage offensive guy. It'd be like if, um, I mean, Sean Marion's way better, but if like yeah. Sean Marion had like demanded out of Phoenix so that he could be the number one option somewhere. Or something. <laughs> I think he tried, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, no, you're not. It's not gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah, to be clear, we're both going under on Detroit. This one, this one was pretty easy. I, I think if Blake does stay healthy, there's a chance that he like because you are right when he's especially since he's come to Detroit, like he's been pretty damn good when healthy, but I just, I just think that's kind of a, a soccer bet this year. And, and this, this is, this roster just couldn't fit him worse too. Like, oh yeah. Cause, cause it, there's just no spacing. So like, I'm not, I don't think he's necessarily going to miss like another half season, but I just, it's just a terribly constructed roster. We did forget to mention as well that they have both Jalil Okafor and uh, Leangelo ball. So right. just something to keep in mind. <laughs> I don't know if that, if that moves the needle for you last minute, we're going to go three in a row now. Uh, in agreeance as we move to the Indiana Pacers, who had a 61.6 win percentage last year. That's a 51 win pace. This number falls all the way down to 54.5. Uh, 
45 win pace over 82. Uh, then the the implied record would be 39 and 33. We're both going over on this. I, I feel like we're being baited into it a little bit, but for a team that has, like I, I read the other day, like they have a record amount of continuity year over year in terms of retaining the same roster. Maybe they're projecting some sort of Oladipo or Miles Turner type of trade, but for this team to drop like seven win percentage points, I, I don't think makes a lot of sense on the surface. Yeah, it it does sort of stand out as kind of like a, like I had to check last year's roster. And I was like, did I miss someone like leaving? Like what? Like, I don't understand. I mean, it's like Nate McMillan was um, a pretty solid coach, but I don't like, I don't think he got the most out of this team offensively. He, he might've gotten the most out of them defensively, but um, you know, I, I don't think going from him to Nick nurse's right-hand man is going to be anything worse than a lateral move. And it, and it could even be, that he, uh, I, I can't even remember the new coach's name, um, but it's like the organ or something, right? Yeah. It could be that he's like one of the new, like hot new coaches who helps this team like reach higher heights. You know I mean? Like uh, I think the the one thing that I kind of was thinking about with this line is just like, how can the Victor Oladipo thing play out? Like what's the worst case scenario? Because if he's as bad as he was in the bubble, and he keeps trying to play like the the good version of Victor Oladipo, that could sink this team. But I just don't think the other players and the coaches would allow, like if he is that bad, I just don't think they would allow him to play that way. And there's a chance that he's significantly better. Um, I, you know, my advice, if I were his agent would just be like, prove that you're that same level of defender as you were. You don't have to average 24 points a game just prove that you can still be a two-way uh wing and you're going to get paid um so i think if he does that they're, they're definitely going to hit this over i mean if any of what tj warren was showing in the bubble is real that that helps him hit this over uh i know that miles turner and and sabonis aren't great fits but you know they fit about as well as you could have hoped last year and i, I still think that those guys are both, you know, right in the middle of their primes. Um, yeah, I just, I think this is a, is a funky line. I don't know how they quite arrived here, but I think you just kind of have to go over. Yeah, I, I think there's maybe some thought that what they did in the bubble at the end of the year, they went six and two in seeding games. So they boosted that, that end of season win percentage a little bit. You know, maybe there's a thought that, you know, they, that, that just wasn't sustainable. You know, they caught a couple teams, um, on, on nights, you know, like they beat the Lakers when they weren't playing anybody, they beat the heat when they weren't playing anybody. So there's something to that, but I also feel like shorthanded. Weren't they also like without like, so bonus didn't play. Yeah. Yeah. Oladipo was kind of in and out. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think especially with Oladipo, but, but even with some of these other guys, like Malcolm Brogdon missed more time, I think than the, than the Pacers hoped, um, it didn't really feel like they like everything broke right for them last year. Right. I mean, they, they kind of grinded through a, a few setbacks. So I, I feel like you can almost expect better health. And then the other thing, like with Oladipo, I, I totally agree that if he comes back and he looks like he did last year, they're just going to kind of have to find a way to, to like phase him out of, of being the number one guy. When he came back last year, they lost, they immediately lost six games in a row. Like he was, yeah. he was single-handedly <laughs> losing them yeah. games. So like, I, I think if you get even like a slightly better version of Oladipo, one, your record last year is even better. And and two, I, I think their their ceiling is quite a bit higher. So 
again, I, I do feel like we're being baited into it, but this was one of the easier overs. And I think it's that same sort of logic as I was saying with Kevin Love, where like Victor Oladipo's had a few months now to sort of digest the fact that no team wanted to trade for him and give him that extension that he's looking for. So like he's kind of gotten some humble pie and he has to go into this season. You know, he's, he's going to play for the, the biggest contract he can get, but um, like he knows like he can't do what he was doing last year if he wants to get paid. So I mm. think that that works in my favor as well. All right. We move to the Miami heat. 60.3 win percentage last season. That was a 49 win pace. Uh, the number is 60.5. So the odds makers uh, view Miami as a very similar regular season team. 50 win pace, 44 win pace uh, over 72 games. You and I are both going over here. I, I thought long and hard about taking the under. Um, uh, you know, I, I think I think Miami probably takes a little bit of a step back compared to how it was playing. Uh, at the end of the bubble, I, I don't, I don't see Miami being back in the finals this year. Um, but at the same time, there's, it was, it was really hard for me to kind of try to find a justification for that outside of, I think Jimmy Butler kind of goes back to being the Jimmy Butler that we saw in the regular season, which is a guy who has kind of learned how to pace himself and isn't going to play 45 minutes and, you know, give you a, a triple double every other night. Like he, he turned into a completely different player in the bubble and, and that's what really took Miami to the next level. I don't see, I don't think we get that version of Butler over these first 72 games, but I think you bring in Drogic back, you're getting a, probably a better version of Adebayo, you're getting a better version of Tyler Hero. Um, I, I think there's enough internal improvement on this roster. I, I love the Avery Bradley addition for them to to kind of replace Jay Crowder in some ways. Um, I, I think they'll they'll pick up where they left off, and I, I don't see them being a team that's like going to challenge Milwaukee or, or in my mind, Brooklyn for the one seed. But I, I think they're going to be a team that once again, nobody wants to play in any round of the playoffs. Yeah, I think this is a good line. I, I did go over uh, like you did, um, but I like this um, 60.5. So 50 win pace in an 82 game season. Like this is sort of where I thought the Celtics should have been and, and, um, spoiler alert, kind of where I think the Sixers and Raptors should be too. And I just think, you know, the the institutional sort of knowledge of everyone there, you know, Spolstra's top five coach, uh, yeah, Adebayo gets better, kind of, you know, that's sort of a, a lock. I think he probably takes on a bit more of kind of a Jokic role offensively where he's uh, working a bit more as an offensive hub. I fully buy into the Tyler Hero breakout we saw in the bubble, as you know. Um, yeah, I just I think that there's too many good players. Coaching's too good. The defense is going to be too good uh, for them to go under without uh, one of their top two or three guys getting hurt. Yeah, no complaints on my end there. We should note this line was not posted along with the, the you know the big group of I think it was 28 that initially came mm-hmm. out, and and Houston and Miami were the only two teams not posted. We, we still don't have Houston. So, you know, we'll see when we record the Western conference pod, uh, hopefully we'll have a number, but it's, could you think of any reason why Miami's would be delayed? I, I think it was just released like today or yesterday. Yeah. I have no idea. Like it, I don't know if they just, it was like an oversight by DraftKings or, or what? I, I can't think of anything that would have shifted this line dramatically. So I, that one really stuck out to me. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it would have been one thing if they like pulled the Nets line when it seemed like Harden was really trying to push himself there. But yeah, this was this was strange. I, I, I'm leaning toward technical oversight as well. 
Let's move to the Milwaukee Bucks. 76.7% last season. That was 63-win pace. Uh, the number is down to 68.5. That puts Milwaukee on a 56-win pace, over 82, 49-win pace, over 72. This one was a pretty easy over for me. Uh, you're going over as well. I, I, I do think there's a case to be made that maybe Milwaukee starts to see some value in, in not pushing too hard in the regular season and going for a third straight one seed. On the other hand, they were pushing that hard. You know, I mean, they they were far and away the best team in the East, but you had Giannis playing historically low numbers for an MVP, for a superstar. The rest of their players were were basically load managed, whether it was on purpose or by accident. Um, I, I, I just think when you have Giannis and he's this good, your, your, your floor is extremely high. Your ceiling is also extremely high. Um, and, and really, to me, the only thing that could prevent them from hitting this over is Giannis getting hurt or, you know, kind of an extreme rest plan with him. Yeah, I mean, I think they had a disastrous offseason. I still think they go over for pretty much everything you, yeah. you mentioned. Like, like Giannis, not only is he going to be the best player in the regular season, um, but he's going to, like, try harder than everyone. So, right. like, it's just such a unique thing for a superstar to, like, bring it that hard on both ends every night during the regular season. Um, so, yeah, I think as long as he's healthy, they, they hit this over. I think with Giannis, the interesting thing is too, like he was barely over 30 minutes last year. Like he could, he could easily play four more minutes per game and still like not be in the top 20 leaders in minutes per game. And, you know, I wonder if Bud, like he can't play him as few minutes as he did in the playoffs last year in this year's playoffs. And so I just wonder, do you maybe experiment with letting him play you know maybe two more minutes a game during the regular season so that you can get him ready to play those right. minutes in the playoffs um i i never understood why he insisted on capping him in the playoffs the way he did but you would think that if he maybe has a mandate from you know ownership or the or horst or Giannis or whoever, like yeah like maybe the regular season's a way to experiment with giving him more minutes yeah, I think by default it might be. I mean, you really can't go the other way, right? Like, are you going to play Giannis 28 minutes a yeah. game? Yeah, if you then, yeah, because if you play him 28 minutes a game, then Bud's going to be even more idiotic in the playoffs. So, right. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, it's showtime. The New York Knicks, 31.8% last season. That was a 26-win pace. The number is 30.5. That puts them on a 25-win pace over 82 a 22 win pace. Uh, they have the same number as the Cavs, which I, I think is appropriate. Uh, and just like the Cavs, we're both going under. Yeah, and this one actually opened at uh, opened at 31 and a, or 31.5 yep. uh, winning percentage, and it's gone down. <laughs> and I'm still locking in that under. I think Love ever it. since you and I have been doing this podcast, uh, one of our best bets has been the Knicks under, and it's always hit. Um, always comfortably it always hits so this is and with that all said this is the worst Knicks roster that we've ever had the pleasure of breaking down in my opinion like it's just a complete disaster uh you know I mentioned that the Pistons don't have any shooting the Knicks have even less shooting than the Pistons and it's just a complete cluster of rotation battles where you have Tom Thibodeau in charge of sort of sorting all this out 
And it's just like, you know, who's he going to follow? Like, which veteran is he going to fall in love with on this roster? Like, is he going to have an aneurysm watching Obi Toppin play defense? I, you know, they gave, like, if if you believe in R.J. Barrett at all, then giving him this little shooting around him is just so unfortunate. I mean, they're setting him up to fail again. And there's going to be R.J. Barrett truthers, like, two or three years from now, like, talking about how, he would have been awesome if the Knicks had just let him, if the Knicks had just uh, given him some spread pick and roll to run. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this this roster is just a complete disaster. And, you know, they did a terrible job getting shooting on this roster to help bear it out. But at the very least, they, unlike some of these other teams we talked about, know that what's best for them is to get the highest pick possible in this 2021 draft. Do you think at any point this season we will get a Neil Aquina, Austin Rivers, Kevin Knox, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, Julius Randle lineup? Yeah, sure. It's a possibility. Why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah, they're, they were, you said it. They were the worst three-point shooting team in the league last season when you take into account both volume and percentage. They were bottom five in percentage, and they were 29th in volume. They, they made fewer threes than any other team last year. And your response is draft Obi Toppin signed Alec Burks, draft Emmanuel quickly. Uh, they did part ways with Taj Gibson. I love that move. They got rid of Bobby Portis, kind of thinned out the the power forward raid a little bit. But it's just, it's bad. It's really bad. I, I think the the one silver lining is we, we hopefully by default get to see more Mitchell Robinson, which is great for fantasy. But I, I don't know that that really does anything to give you more wins. Yeah the only way that they could go over here is if somehow Thibodeau reaches Robinson and, and sort of reins him in for the, the stat chasing and like gets him to actually defend within the scheme. Um, you know, right now Robinson's just kind of like Hassan Whiteside with who has even a harder time staying out of foul trouble. Right. Uh, you know, one of the best shot blockers I've ever seen just in terms of ability to block a shot from like anywhere on the court, but he just has no defensive principles. Um, and he's just hunting blocks all game long. Like if, if Thibodeau can like turn him into like a top four or five real life defensive center this year, maybe that anchors a good enough defense for them to, to go over. But I mean, that's, that's like the only thing that they could hang their hat on. Like there's no other, aspect of the game that they're good at i mean who who's the best player on this team like because we talked about like zach levine versus gordon hayward i mean all these guys are way worse than those guys all right you can't just spring a question like that on me i wasn't prepared to answer this i don't know i mean i i think the numbers would say it's julius randall yeah it might be julius randall that's not a good thing (laughs) no that's terrible i think and look i i've always liked alfred payton just as like a guy you know, seem like a cool guy. Is there like a worse point guard for this team than yeah. Alfred Payton? Like we have no shooting anywhere else. Let's go get one of the worst shooting point guards in the league. I mean, the, you know, Leon Rose, like he's done some okay things. Like it hasn't all just been like CAA, LOL, but I mean, taking Obi Toppin over Tyrese Halliburton in the draft was just, you know, that was just unforgivable really. And it was all because of his relationship with Toppin from his days as an agent. You put Tyrese Halliburton next to R.J. Barrett, then all of a sudden stuff starts to fit a little bit better because he can shoot it and he can pass it and he doesn't need the ball in his hands, so R.J. could have the ball in his hands. Like Passing on that fit was just criminal. Yeah, I, I think the Knicks are the team that 
when you start to look at schedule and, you know, kind of night to night, what teams are they going to be favored against? Like maybe at home against the Thunder, maybe at home against the Cavs. Like they'll, they'll be an underdog in 95% of their games this year. And the ultimate uh, red flag is that they're finally not on Christmas. Right. Exactly. The league finally had to put their foot down. If the NBA doesn't think they can put the Knicks on Christmas, that really tells you something. I think this number would probably have to get to like uh, projected 18-ish wins (laughs) for me to to think about the over. Seriously, this was a no-brainer, and 22 is the lowest number. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. All right, the Orlando Magic, 45.2% last year, 37-win pace. Uh, The number is down to 43.5. That's 36-win pace over 82 31 win pace uh, over 72. We are in agreement again. That is one, two, three, what, six in a row, I think now. We're both going under on the Magic. Yeah, this is probably the most boring team to talk about uh, in the East, in my opinion, just because it's not comically bad, but it's there's nothing like good to talk about either. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like more and more people are – or jumping aboard the Cole Anthony for Rookie of the Year bandwagon, but uh, that's, you know, Cole Anthony winning Rookie of the Year would probably suggest that they went under um, yeah. because they'd right. be giving Cole Anthony a lot of shots. Um, I mean, it's, it's like Aaron Gordon, how have they not traded him yet? Like, when are they going to trade him? It's it's clearly never going to work. I think like they're waiting for him to have, like, a nice three-week stretch, and it's been two years, and it just hasn't happened. Yeah. They they probably I mean they could have gotten a haul for him if they traded him like two years ago, um, and so yeah. I mean they 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 whiff on the, the Mobamba pick. Uh, the only good guy they drafted that had any signs of life is going to miss the season. So, I mean I I think people probably still underrate Steve Clifford as a coach. Like I think he'll get the most out of this team, especially defensively, that he can get. Um, but it just seems like this core has kind of met the end of the road. And I wonder at which point the players sort of start feeling that too. Like they're not going to get the eight seed anymore in this conference. And mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be lucky to get in the play-in game. So I, I don't know. I think it's It might turn into sort of every man for himself uh, eventually as the season goes on. Yeah. I mean, I think they've pretty clearly fallen behind at least teams like Atlanta and I mean, it still wouldn't shock me if they had like a better record than Chicago or, or Charlotte or, or those type of teams, just because well, there's some continuity there, but there's no upside. Like the, the, the Nets are clearly better now. And then I think the Hawks and the Wizards passed them. So, yeah, um, I think they're, yeah, they're right. They're closer to, to that Hawks, like that lower tier than they were moving up to like the top six, which is, I mean, that's not. Yeah. Saying much. I, mean, I think the magic are right in like with the bulls and the Hornets. I think they're just kind of, they're not as bad as the sure. Knicks and, and the Cavs, but they're not going to really contend for anything either. I'll say that they're they're probably better than they should be, like th- uh, these last couple of years. Like and maybe that's just us underrating Vucevic. I mean, they're without they're going to be without their second best player all year in Jonathan Isaac, and that that was a big reason to take this under as well. I, I think your only real addition is Cole Anthony, right? I mean, I, I don't I don't see how there's like a lot of op- optimism when you're oh. without Isaac. Gordon's not getting any better, and you just added like a mid first round pick, and that was it. I mean, you I guess you added Chumo Kiki as well. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But- I mean, I, I think they keep winning slightly more games than we think they should, basically because of Steve Clifford. And I just don't know how long that, that 
you know, coach, eventually people just kind of start tuning out the coach, even if he's a good coach and when right. the results aren't there. So I think this could be a year where like if Vucevic has like a sore ankle, they're just like, just look, shut it down for six weeks. That's <laughs> fine. And like, they finally get out of that, like eight, nine, 10 area and just try to get like the fourth pick. Yeah. All right. The 76ers, 58.9% last year, 48 win pace. The number 58.5. 48 win pace, 42 wins uh, in a 72 game season. That number is actually down. It was 59.5, uh, which would have put them on pace for about 43 wins. Um, but that 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 number is now at 58.5. You and I are both going over. Uh, I, I'm interested to see, you know, how much you really thought about going under on this one. This is honestly one of my favorite overs on the board. Um, I I think they had the best off season in the conference. I think that Daryl Morey came in and basically immediately fixed the problems with this roster and got the necessary shooting in there. Um, I wrote that article I wrote with my best bets. Like I think the Simmons, Curry, Green, Harris, Embiid lineup might be the best five-man lineup in the NBA this year. Like I think that they're just going to be devastating on both ends of the court and you finally have enough spacing there, I think, for Embiid and Simmons to really thrive. And we saw those guys, you know, a couple of years ago when they weren't even as good as they are now. We saw those guys thrive when they were surrounded by shooting when they had the, the J.J. Redick uh, team together. Um, I think it's just going to be back to that. And I, I think Ben Simmons, like Embiid kind of had a disappointing season last year. Um, oh, yeah. And I think. I, I love everything I'm hearing from those two guys about just sort of how, you know, I think they, they want to make this work. Like, I don't think they're at the point where they're sort of sick of trying to make it work. I think getting Brett Brown out of there and bringing Doc Rivers in is going to kind of revitalize these guys a little bit. Um, I, I think they might, they, they'd probably be my pick to finish with the third best record in the conference, uh, to be honest. So I, I love the over. Yeah. I mean, that they're, another team to me where they finished 13 games over 500 last year. And it felt like a massive disappointment, you know, Embiid not only wasn't that good, but he also missed a ton of time. Simmons, you know, ends up missing time at the end of the year. They lose three of their last four in the bubble that tanks the record a little bit. The the team never fit together at any point. They were one of the worst road teams ever, uh, especially when you start to look at teams that are actually good. Like the, the home road split made no sense at all. I think having a coach like doc rivers, uh, it certainly changes that. Um, and I'm with you. I, I think you could make the case that they maybe sent out more overall talent than they brought in, but the fit is just so much better overall. And, you know, you mentioned that five-man lineup. I think I'd almost rather swap in Matisse Thibel for Danny Green, and I like it even more. Yeah, I I like Green more just because he will be a much more willing shooter. Like, you need to have those guys that aren't Simmons and MB just have to pull as soon as they're open. Like, mm. um, and so I, I think green just will shoot it with more confidence. I mean, Thibault is definitely a better defender than green at this point. Um, and I think they, you know, I, I think both lineups will be great, right? Like I think the, the right. Thibault lineup might be better defensively. I think the green lineup will be a bit better offensively. Um, green also just sort of knows where to be on offense more than Thibault does. Like he knows where which corner he needs to be in and like when to make a cut and that type of stuff um so i mean yeah they're not it's not the deepest lineup so 
maybe they could go under if, if they have sort of a COVID outbreak or something like that. But um, at least the guys, you know, other than the centers, at least the guys on the bench can all shoot. So I think that that's, that's just the key with this Simmons and bead core is the other three guys just have to be able to shoot. And yep. I think that they finally did that. Yeah. First time in a while that they've built the correct roster around these guys. So I, I think there's a lot of upside. And, and again, I, I don't feel like they got even close to their ceiling last year. So I, I'm with you. This was one of my easier ones. My one concern, like you said, there's not a lot of depth. You know, you're relying on Dwight Howard to have another good season. And I, I don't think that's really a guarantee by any means. And, you know, I, I think if, if Seth Curry is your sixth man, that's awesome. But your seventh man might be like Mike Scott or Terrence Ferguson. Um, you know, they still have Shake Milton, but like, I still feel like they're like one veteran depth piece away. Like if they could, if they could even land like a Trevor Ariza, if he gets bought out, something like that would make me feel a little better. What's, what are the odds on a Joel Embiid, Dwight Howard fight in practice this year? I think, I think I saw it at like minus 550. <laughs> like if, yeah. if I were Embiid, I would think about just like fighting him really early in the season just to yep. like send a message like. Yeah, stop messing around. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that idea. I think, or it, yeah, maybe if you have like a COVID situation and you know you're going to miss a couple weeks anyway, like fight him, serve your suspension while you are while you have COVID. Right. They're going to have to be strategic about how they fight Dwight this year. I think that's <laughs> going to be the key. Yeah. All right, the Toronto Raptors. We have two more. Toronto, win percentage of 73.6 last year. That was a 60-win pace. Uh, the number all the way down at 58 Point five. I I think other than the Nets, that's the biggest discrepancy year to year in the Eastern Conference. Uh, that puts them on pace for 48 wins over an 82-game season, 42 over a 72-game season. So, I mean, we just talked about the Sixers. It's the exact same number, uh, although this one did open at 57.5. So it's, it's been bet up a little bit, um, which, which I think is right. And, and you and I are both going over on this. Yeah, I think this is the most disrespectful line on the yeah. board. Um, the, you know, they have the best coach, they have the best general manager, and I think they're basically this decade's version of the Spurs, where as long as sort of enough of the foundational pieces are still on the roster, they're just gonna they're gonna cruise in, in the regular season. Um, the defense, I mean, they still like they lose Ibaka and they lose Gasol, but they can still put. Lowry, Van Vliet, and Anobi and Siakam out there in in a defensive lineup where that could still be one of the best defensive lineups in the league. Um, So I I think uh, Aaron Baines was a nice way to pivot kind of last minute. They got the best center left on the market when Gasol and and Ibaka left. Uh, Him staying healthy is always a question, but I think that he'll he'll be a really good fit while he's in there. Um, Chris Boucher, I think, is, is a guy to watch as a potential sort of like next Raptors breakout that nobody sees coming type of guy. Um, and they Davis. just, they have, they, yeah, they, I mean, they have, um, they have nice depth at those, those guard and wing spots. You know, Norman Powell is a great uh, wing guy off the bench. Uh, I think OG Ananobi can get a little bit better. I think Pascal Siakam, you know, he started so great last year and then he really faded and he, he did not play well in the bubble. But I kind of think we see him bounce back to sort of where he started last year. Um, and, you know, at some point, Kyle Lowry is going to fall off. I don't think it'll be quite yet. Um, mm-hmm. But even if he did, I, I just think this line is just so disrespectful 
uh, given what they've shown, um, especially last year when everyone was like bagging on them um, because Kawhi left. Right. Uh, you know, I think they they kind of proved last year to the doubters like that they're they're a fine tuned machine. So I just looked up their line from last year, and this was this was their uh, Westgate line, 46 wins. Like we said, they were on pace for 60, so they were going to smash that by 14 or 15 wins. And they're doing the same thing this year. And I, I think that's kind of curious. My one concern, and you hit on this, is if this is a year that falls apart, I think they're in trouble. But at the same time, I would be a lot more worried if they let Van Vliet walk and really had no backup option. Like, Lowry can miss a decent amount of games or not be quite as good. And I still feel like they would have a pretty good chance to hit this over. Yeah, and, and he has he just hasn't shown any signs. of Like, he was awesome in the bubble. Like, I, yeah. I, you know, you, you want to see someone like at least show signs of kind of breaking down before you just sort of assume it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We finish out with the Washington Wizards. 34.7 win percentage last year, 28 win pace. That number jumps up to 45.5. That's a 37 win pace uh, in a 72 game season, a 33 win pace. I'm going over. You're going under. I'm glad we we're going to end this one on a disagreement. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so this is a this is a tough one to figure out because the rest factor just it just changes the equation so much. Um, so you just you you know they're definitely going to be better than they were last year. Um, I still think they're going to be a bottom three defense this year because they really didn't address that at all. Um, <laughs> like. Yeah. We'll see. So, we'll see what Abdiya looks like. Yeah. You know, I, I think maybe with a better coach, they could hit this over. But, oh, man, I I have a feeling that Brad Beal is going to leave this season um, with his mind made up that it's time to move on. And, you know, I, I could see them hitting this over. I don't, I don't feel great about the under, but... Mm-hmm. Asking any, you know, you don't get a full trading camp to integrate a guy like Russ. Like how many, like watching this Wizards team early in the season, especially like the first couple of weeks, there's just going to be so many plays where Russ like just looks at one of his teammates like, like, what was that about? Like, why did you pass that to me? Or, or why didn't you, why weren't you there when I set that pass flying out of bounds? And um, there's just going to be a lot of stuff like that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if Russ understands that Bradley Beal is better than him. Uh, he might um, not know I, that. I don't think it's going to be. I don't think that's even a possibility. Okay, so that that's that's going to be a problem, right? Like I think at least John Wall um, sort of knew. I think he didn't like it, but I think he at least knew that Bradley Beal was better than him. Um, whereas yeah. I don't think Russ knows. I don't think Russ has any clue that Bradley Beal is better than him. And so you're going to have like end of game situations where they're just kind of letting Russ break down the defense and Bradley Beal's like standing off in the corner or something. Um, so I, I could see them losing a lot of close games. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that they, they could get the playing game. I mean, that, I think that's very possible, but I, I'd still go under here. I think Russ is a floor raiser. So I feel better about this team with Russ than I did with Wall. And I I've, was a pretty big John Wall guy over the last decade, but Coming off the Achilles, I, I just feel like there was a lot of risk there. And I, I think they felt the same way where it's like, you know, if, if Wall came back and was 100% of the guy he was in like 2017, maybe that's a more effective player than current day Russell Westbrook. But the chances of that happening, 
I don't think we're all that good. So they they took the safer bet and 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 got Westbrook and it didn't really cost them all that much. I I just have a hard time seeing this team. You know, the implied record is 33 and 39. I just can't see them being six games under 500. I, I don't think they're going to be a great team by any means, but I, I, I think they'll be better than this. I think they'll be, you know, they, they could kind of replicate the season that the Magic had last year. You know, like nobody was calling the Magic a great team, but they beat the really bad teams. Every now and then they would they would catch a, a, a great team. They would beat some of the good teams, and all of a sudden you're at, you know, 35, 36 wins. Yeah, I, I, I just sort of view that hierarchy in the conference as like to me they're clearly the ninth best team and i think the top seven teams are all so good that just some some teams just have to lose games um so i just i don't think they're quite good enough to kind of take advantage like the mad like you mentioned the magic like i agree they are better than the magic but the, the magic were at times like the clear like seventh or eighth best team in the conference when they were doing that like the wizards are now uh, to mm-hmm. me unless you disagree like do you, do you think the hawks are clearly better than the wizards uh talent wise yeah i think they are but i also think the wizards on any given night could have like the two best players in that game you know i sure. i don't know i i think the hawks are better yes to answer the question also something to consider they lost seven of their last eight games in the bubble without Bradley Beal. So, I mean, that team was not quite as bad, I think, as the final record would indicate. Sure. Um, but that also is a reminder of how many games they would lose if Bradley Beal misses any time this season. That is true. That is true. Um, I, I do feel like they have they have guys that I like. They're, it's it's somewhat similar to that Bulls roster <clears throat> where it's like, I don't, I don't actually know if Rui Hachimura is good or if Thomas Bryant is actually like a legit, you know, starting decent center in the NBA. But like, I like what I've seen. They have some name value. Bertans is kind of in that category as well. Um, but like a lot of these teams in this tier, the depth is pretty, pretty suspect to say the least. I mean, pretty much they're, they're backup at like every position is not good. I think I have more confidence in what Rui is than you do. And I think he's not good. And I, and I don't know, um, how many minutes? Like how many minutes? If you're if you're trying to, you know, win as many games as possible, right? Yeah. Like, I just don't know how those minutes shake out. Um, like your your best lineup definitely has Beal, Bertans, Westbrook in it. Who are those other two guys? Because like Bryant's the best offensive center on the lineup, but he's a terrible defensive center. And you know, Davi Abdi, Denny Abdia might be better than Rui Hachimura already. So. Does he get to well, play if that's there? the case, that'd be great. I think that's a win for Washington. I, I'm more concerned about the guard depth, where you know, I'm looking at our, our depth charts on the site. Jerome Robinson is the backup shooting guard. That's that's a pretty big problem. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> shooting guard, they are very, very light. Um, I mean, they're light at point guard, too. And small forward and power forward. And at, they have Robin Lopez at center. So they're doing okay at center. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think that they there's going to be some fun Wizards games this year, but I don't think the end of year results are going to necessarily be what they're looking for. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I mean, I've probably been saying they should have traded Bradley Beal for over a year. If they wanted to try to win games and the John Wall Westbrook trade made sense, but I just don't think 
they should have been trying to win games because as we've basically said, like best case scenario, they're getting the eight seed and you gave up a, a heavily protected pick, but a pick nonetheless to try to improve your odds of getting that eight seed. And this team just, how does this team ever get better than that um, with the current pieces? Yeah. They've virtually locked themselves into the eight to 11 range in the East. Yeah. This is, this is a team Herb Cole would have been proud of. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. He's, I mean, I think John Hammond from afar is like really jealous of what Washington has built. All right. That does it for the East. We will do the West on Friday, sometime on Friday. We will go through all 15 in the West. We'll put this one up right away, though. Um, make this a two-parter and looking forward to the West. I, I think the East, the top of the East is always fun, but I feel like we always have to kind of grind through like the bottom five or six teams. Whereas in the West, like outside of Sacramento, and maybe OKC this year. Like, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about, like, 13 of 15. Yeah, I mean, you're you're even more excited after you saw what I said about the Lakers in my, my article. <laughs> exactly. Make sure to go read that uh, on rotowire.com. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready our foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.